Thanks for coming out on a Wednesday night. This is the hottest I've felt the whole time I've been here. Uh, I arrived on Saturday night and uh, late, and I was in Dunedin, which is a really warm place. And uh, and and I got up in the morning at uh, 7:45. I pulled the curtains open. I was in a place called St Clair. For anybody who knows Dunedin, which is right on the beach, <laughs> and uh, I pulled the curtains open. And as I pulled it open, it was literally snowing in front of me. And I was like, is this for real? And uh, I shut them again and opened it. It was still snowing. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, you know, it was great to be with you. But Saturday night also held some other promising things for me. Because there was a great game of football on the TV. Hey, look, I've got to get in while I can. Because we know we're up again on Saturday night. And if you can keep the weather as cold as this, Australia won't even be able to come out of the change rooms. Uh, uh, but uh, it was good. It was like, wow, this is a great, you know, there's anointing and then there's just joy to be able to preach on a Sunday morning when you're an Australian in New Zealand. There's been many other times I've been here and it hasn't been a joy to be preaching. So I'm just hoping for Pastor Sam's sake that Australia win on Saturday night so it's a great service on Sunday up in, uh, in Auckland. But truly, it's great to be with you, and uh, I have been all over the place with Equippers, uh, and it's great to see what God is doing in the nation. And, uh, you know, I, I truly believe that God has something that He wants to do, not just in the nation, but right here in Wellington. And the truth is that if you don't rise up, who's going to rise up? Who, who, who's God going to use? And whether you're here or in the hut or in the region around, I want to encourage you that this is your day, you know? Jordan said it, but we can almost go, oh yeah, I've had it before, you know, oh, it was great, the days ahead, <laughs> you know, but actually that is how we need to live our lives because God has a great future and a great plan for us. Tonight, if you can and you've got a Bible, why don't you just turn wherever you feel the Spirit of the Lord is leading you <laughs> and we'll see who truly are the prophetic people in the room. And if you get a good scripture, give it to me and I'll use that. But, you know, tonight I, I want to talk to you from a perspective and I want you to turn to the person next to you and, and say this. Why stay here? Why stay here? Turn to the other person. Put your preaching voice on now. Turn to them and say, why stay here? You know... I love the church. I love what God has purpose for the church. But this is not the end for what God wants to do in Wellington. This is actually just the beginning, the foundational block. And God has something purpose for you. So we come out on a Wednesday night because there's something in all of us that says we want more than what we've got right now. If you don't think like that, why are you going to church? You know, church is the only club that exists for the people that aren't here yet. You know, every other group of people that exists, exists for themselves. They pay fees to look after themselves. We actually contribute because we want to see a wider impact in what we do. And so I want to encourage you to understand that God has a great purpose for you. The book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 7, is actually where I'm going to be reading from tonight. Anybody get that? Yeah. Lord, I pray that the spirit of lies had come out of this house. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, you weren't the only one. There's about 19 other people put their hand up as well. Uh, 
But, you know, the book of Kings here is, at this time in the land of Samaria, there was a famine in the land. And I want you to understand that whenever we read Scripture, and particularly when we read the Old Testament, more often than not, it's a metaphor or a picture of what's happening in the natural is really a spiritual picture for us to live and abide by. And so as we see this passage, we need to understand there was famine in the land. There is famine right now in Wellington. There is famine right now in the nation of New Zealand. There's famine on the earth. And we're coming up against some social issues like we never had before on the earth. But we don't need to worry about that as Christians. We need to look through the scripture and understand that in times of famine is when God moved in most powerful ways. And so here in Samaria, Samaria was a place that was a walled city. Chariots, if you've ever seen some of the movies, there was a capacity on the walls of Samaria for at least two chariots going in the opposite direction at full speed to pass each other. So these walls were very large. And not only that, that, the, that you know, it was a fortified city, so you couldn't get on the inside. We pick up this story about four lepers, four men who were outcasts in their city. And the reason they were outcasts is because they had leprosy. Leprosy was a contagious disease. In other words, if you touch them, you could catch the disease. And leprosy wasn't a great disease. I don't know if you've heard about leprosy, but basically, you know, leprosy uh, it was about body parts slowly but surely falling off. Your outer extremities would just drop off at some point if you have had full-blown le leprosy. So guess what? Not too many people wanted to catch it. So when you got leprosy, you were actually kicked out of the city. So these lepers would live on the outside of the city walls and they'd live off the food scraps that would be thrown over the edge. But who knows that when there's a famine in the land and you're living off the food scraps, there ain't much for you to eat. So they're faced with this problem because spiritually, uh, I mean, sorry, naturally, there's no food in the land. And they need to actually change their position if they're going to be positioned to do what is purpose for their life. So many of us are actually in a place right now where maybe there's unrest in your life. Maybe there's circumstance in your life you're looking at saying, why is this happening? Why isn't this happening, God? Why aren't I moving forward? Why can't I break through? But tonight, I want to show you through this spiritual picture of these four guys' lives why God is wanting you to break through. But not only why, I'm going to show you how, if you'll take steps, you can position yourself to see God break through in your life. As a church, it's time for you to say, why stay here? It's time for you to say, enough is enough. We've been here long enough. God, there's a new day for us and we want to step into it and all that it has to offer. So here in 2 Kings chapter whatever it is, 7 verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? It's pretty hard to give a real rah about that, isn't it? It's like, yeah, oh, if we die. Um, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. I thought I'd encourage you tonight with this scripture. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. Woohoo! If they kill us, we die. <laughs> At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, look at the king of Israel, uh, has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up at once and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. I don't know why, but there's always donkeys in the Old Testament. You look into what a donkey is or what a donkey means, and it means 
a donkey. I don't know why it's always there, but they are always there. They left the camp as it was, and they ran for their lives. The men had leprosy, reached the edge of the camp, and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So there's a famine in Samaria. We need to understand that these men were afflicted. They had every reason to whinge and complain and moan about their lot in life. They were outcasts. But yet, if we look at it in the right context, when there's famine in the land and there's trouble pressing against us, it is actually our moment to rise up. Because you see, famine in the land was always an accelerant for people to do what they were purposed to do in God. We saw it in Abraham. We saw it in Isaac in times of famine. We saw it in Gideon. We saw it in Ruth. We saw it in Elijah. Always times of famine when you look through the Bible. Probably the most prolific person that we saw rise up into their destiny in a time of famine was Joseph. And we talk about him and being a dreamer all the time. But it was famine that gave him the base for him to step into what God had for him. Church, we shouldn't look and say, wow, the Christians are getting less, but out there there's more people that actually don't want to know anything about God, we should say there's a famine in the land and this is our opportunity to rise up. This is our opportunity to break through what God has for us. So I want us to look at how can we learn from these four lepers? Because these four lepers, outcasts, seemingly insignificant, triggered the hand of God to have an incredible opportunity and in the end they saved the people that rejected them. And we need to recognize that sometimes we're persecuted because we're there to actually remember those who didn't want what they actually needed. And 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, I want to read each passage and go through it and work through how do we learn from this passage. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here and if we die? If we stay here... We'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over the camp, the Armenians, and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. Here's our options if we look at this as a spiritual you know, picture. Die, die, maybe live, die. <laughs> Lord, let's pray, and I pray that cements in people's spirit. No, no, not really. But the truth is that this passage is talking about our lives. You see, Christians are actually supposed to live a supernatural life, not just a natural life. But we get so consumed with the life that we live and the circumstances that we have that we actually start to wither and die. We get more consumed about why aren't I on the roster this week? How come they got to sing? I've been, re- I've been practicing for years and nobody gives me an opportunity. You know, why can't I lead a small group? I'm pretty good, you know. And, and we get so consumed with what we're not doing that we actually die on the inside. Rather than understanding that to live is to actually live according to faith. We need to be people that actually take steps of faith. If we're not taking steps of faith, we're taking up too much space. So here's these guys sitting in the comfort of the wall. Yeah, sure, they've been rejected, but it's shady in the middle of the desert. There's food every now and again coming over, but it started to dry up, so they have to change their position. I really believe that's a prophetic picture for you as a church. It's time for you to change your position. It's time for you to understand that you can't stay where you are anymore. If you're going to step into the next phase God has for you, you can stay at the wall, but you're going to die. You need to step into the next phase he has for you. So here's the options. Go back to where you came from. 
Now, you've got to remember that going back always seems so appealing. When you think about where you came from or what you're involved in or, or you know, and in church life, it's so easy to actually get caught up in the week to week and then remember back. Oh, I remember when we went on that camp and God moved so powerfully. It was incredible what he did. But what we don't remember, it was actually a shocking environment. What was going on in the rest of our life at that time was terrible. And so we remember one highlight. And if we were to be put back in that place, we'd say, take me back to where I just came from. But there's something luring about the past. Because it's wrapped up in emotions. But it's not wrapped up in the reality of our lives. And so these guys had the opportunity to go back. I don't know if you've ever been back to anything of your former life. But I had the privilege of being able to go back to my family home a few years ago. My family home was where pretty much I grew up. And uh, I lived in that house for the longest I've ever lived in a house for 19 years. Pretty much all the years I was growing up as a kid. And uh, that home, I remember thinking, this place is like a palace. As a kid, I just thought it was huge. And uh, I had my own bedroom, which, you know, sounds wild. So what, you had your own bedroom. But... Back in those times, which is about 140 years ago, the, the, having your own bedroom was an incredible privilege in my family. And so in, we built this house and we all had our own bedroom. I remember my bedroom was like the place I had adventures. We used to play hide and seek. I don't know where we used to hide, but we used to do it. And we used to, we used to do all sorts of things in that room. Shut the door and it was like another world, you know. But when I got to the age of eight, I became incredibly frustrated. Because the vision God had placed in my heart wasn't coming to pass. I believed that I was called to preach. And by the age of eight, nobody had invited me to preach anywhere. So I'm like, you know, come on, I'm eight. I'm getting old. My life's withering away here. So I decided that if nobody's going to invite me, I'm going to invite myself. And I created my own church in my own bedroom. And a Tuesday and Thursday every week, at four o'clock, I would have church. And back in those times, I thought, well, I've got nobody else to help me, so this is a one-man band. <laughs> so I, I did everything. You know, I was the usher, I was the whole, whole deal. And, uh, and, and what I'd do is I'd actually, um, you know, start by leading the meeting. Now, in those times, some of you are pretty young here, so you're not going to understand what I'm talking about right now. But there used to be a ministry in the church called the Overhead Projectionist. <laughs> wow, there's a few. Who was one of those? Come on, lift your hand. Wow. You need to bring the overhead projector back in. There's people living with great rejection that it's gone. But, you know, it was like a box, for those that can't remember. It was like a box with this pole sticking up with some weird mirror thing on it. And, uh, and then you, they'd turn it on, a light would come on, and suddenly there'd be this big square on the wall that was always slightly out of shape. Didn't... <laughs> Didn't have keystoning in those times. And, uh, and anyway, and then you'd put these slides up. Now, the thing about that ministry is you couldn't have anybody sit on the front row. The reason was because every chorus had about 94 different verses. And you'd have to stack every chair so that you could remember the order of the service. And sometimes a wind would blow in church. We didn't have air conditioning or anything else in those times. And all those slides would just disappear across the floor. And you'd see the overhead projectionist trying to find which is the right one and, and putting it on the screen. And it was, it was incredible. But sometimes they were overzealous as well. They would be like worshipping God and you're singing a song. And in those times it was songs like, Because he lives, I can... And then you open your eyes, For because the guy is lost in worship and he's not changing the slide. And you don't know the rest of the words. 
It happens even today. That guy right there up on the Apple Mac, he could forget and we're all done. I mean, all these new Equipper songs, I'm like, uh, uh, you know, and I, I don't know what's going on. But it was worse in those times. Anyway, I had my little box, cardboard box and a little handle, a broom handle that was hanging out. Didn't really have a light in it, but I thought it was pretty cool. Eight years of age, you can imagine a lot of things. And so I'm, I'm turning over the overheads and then I'm leading the meeting. In those times, I don't know why, but it was always men that led. Uh, thank God that, you know, God's allowed women to be involved. <laughs> maybe it wasn't God, maybe it was men that allowed women to be involved. But anyway, and, uh, and you know, and, and you'd lead like this. I don't know why, it's like a bus conductor or something. Yo, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Anyway, I'd do that, and then, and then you know, oh, and, I, and then, of course, I was there to preach. That's what the whole meeting was about, to preach. <laughs> I forgot to tell you, but I had like 13, maybe 15 of my teddy bears. I used to line them along the wall. And I'm telling you, these guys were responsive. These guys, they knew the word of God. I mean, it was like they'd been through a the theological school, these guys. And uh, sometimes even in the meeting, you know, they'd actually respond. The way they'd respond is I'd go up to them and lift them up and they'd go, Amen, and lift their hand. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the encouragement. And then I'd preach some more. And at the end, I'd always do a salvation altar call. Always. And I want to tell you, without a word of a lie, three or four of them would respond every week. They'd come forward. <laughs> They'd come forward, and of course, the reason they'd come forward, because I believe you, as a friend, you go and help your friend come forward. So I'd go and bring them forward, yes, in the name of Jesus. Sometimes as I was praying, the power of God was so strong, boom, they'd go down under the power of God. They're just out like this on the floor, just enjoying God. Incredible. And then at the end of the meeting, I'd, I'd just say, look, guys, have a great time. The presence of God is still here. I'm going to go now. You stay if you need to stay in the presence of God go up the corridor and get to the refrigerator because it was after school of course and you're always hungry when you get home from school and I'd get into the refrigerator my mum would say how did you go today? I'd go oh mum it was incredible the presence of God was powerful three got saved God is moving <laughs> funny thing is that every day this week my mum texts me how are you going today? how'd it go tonight? how was it? all these years later but you know I was in that little room I thought it was a big room, but when I went to walk through my house all those years later, I could literally put my hands out like this and just about touch the wall. That's how small my bedroom was. But when you look back, you always remember how good it was. But notice something in the book of Ephesians. It talks about the full armor of God. And it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And it talks about the helmet of salvation. But guess what? There's nothing on here doesn't say the back place the back plate of marvelous or anything you know it's not there there's nothing on the back why because we're supposed to be the army of God and the army of God is advancing but if it turns around it becomes vulnerable because there's nothing to protect you and so we're not supposed to turn around we're not supposed to look back if you go back you die so what's the option well you stay where you are sometimes people stay where they are because of hurt and pain because they've been in church life and a leader's hurt them. Well, join the club. If you've been around for more than 15 minutes, some leaders hurt you, I'm telling you. And just get ready, they're going to do it again and again because it's part of your development rather than they're hurting you. We need to recognise that God uses this entity, the church, an imperfect vessel, an imperfect vehicle to prepare us for what he has purpose for us. So rather than complaining about it and saying, I'm staying here because I've been trying all these years and nobody ever gives me an opportunity. But as soon as you draw a line in the sand, God's moved. And you're already getting further away from him and his purpose for your life.
This is a season for you not to go back, you die. Not to stay where you are, you die. So the only option is to take a step of faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that means you've got to take a uh, step. You see, the funny thing about taking a step is you always take the step and you're in an environment like this and you say, God, we're going to get together and we're going to do an incredible thing. Lord, we're going to, we're going to take our city. You know, and it always starts in a church like this with, we're going to take our city and, and we need bigger buildings. This is a great building. But let me tell you, this is way too small for what God wants to do in Wellington. So guess what that means? The next step is, let's take an offering. <laughs> well, it goes quiet suddenly, you know. And, 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 and so what we want to do is we want to actually step out. And there's something in all of us in a room like this. You can go, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. Yes, Lord, I'm going to go beyond what is my capability. Like the Macedonian church as it talks about in the book of Corinthians. We're going to give beyond what we're even capable of. That's great on Sunday. But who loves Monday? When you go to Monday and you go to the mailbox, which is a bit old school now, but you go there or the mailbox in your computer and there is the first bill. Why does it come on Monday? If it come on Friday, I would have held a bit back. But God, it's Monday. <laughs> because you see, there's always a distance between the process and the reality of God. There's always the space where you step out. Yeah! same time I call it happy scared where you actually take a step and you're like yes it's going to be awesome our church is going to advance things are going to happen oh we're going to pay the bills but you see it's all a part of what God has purpose for you because how do you attract the attention of heaven not by going back you die not by staying where you are you die but maybe live maybe die but if you don't step into that place of faith why are you bothering being at church? Why are you bothering taking the kingdom? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you step forward. But when you step out in faith, it's amazing how God responds. You see, here's these four guys. They would have been talking to each other saying, what are we going to do if we go back? You know what's going to happen? They're going to kick us out again. We're going to have to go in incognito and we're going to have to try and not be seen. And That's not going to work. Okay, well, why don't we stay where we are? It's good shade here, but the truth is it's a famine. There's nothing coming over the walls. We've probably only got a few, eight, few months to live at best and we're just going to die here. So we may as well try something. So they come up with this grand master plan. Let's go to the enemy's camp. What a dumb plan. The enemy is the last person that's going to let you in. Imagine you've got leprosy. You show up at the captain's tent. Hi, uh, we're from Samaria, your enemy. Uh, and we've got leprosy. We want to come and infect you all. Would you let us in? I mean, literally, that's what they're actually saying. It sounds ridiculous. But have you noticed they focused their faith not on themselves, but on the enemy's camp? There's a spiritual principle here that we don't focus our faith on. Oh, I just want the bigger house and I want the bigger car. And these things will be added unto you. You don't focus your faith on those things. You focus your faith on taking back what the enemy's stolen. Going into his camp and saying, no longer yours, enemy. The victory's already been won and we're going to take back what the enemy's stolen. And so here they are and, and they're walking through the desert. As they've been going a few days, now they'd start to be doubting the decision they'd made. Some of them say, why, why did you talk me into doing this? I'd prefer to die in the shade by the wall. Why are we now out in the middle of the desert? But while they're walking, look what happens. 
And at verse 5, it does say, got up and they went to the camp of the Armenians. By the way, the, the Armenians were the largest assembled army on earth at that time. They say a quarter of a million soldiers were in tents in the middle of the desert. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. Notice, not one man was there. For the Lord had caused, they're still walking, they don't have a clue what God's doing. I want to encourage you tonight to understand, keep walking. You don't know what God's already doing. You don't know what God's preparing for you. You see, when you take a step of faith, sometimes it looks like, what's going on? But keep walking, because God is making a way. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents, their horses, and there's those donkeys again, and they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Can you believe this? We just read it sometimes in Scripture. But an army of 250,000 men trained to fight, trained to seek people out. They would have had guards and they would have had people that would have gone out as scouts to see what the noise was. But the noise was so loud that it's like a Monty Python movie. Run away, run away, you know, and they just disappear off into the desert and they leave everything as it was. Why did that happen? Because four men said, we're not going back. We're not staying where we are. They take a step. They don't know God's even moving. But for four outcast men, God moves a whole army. How much more is God wanting to move circumstances for you here in Wellington? How much more is he wanting to change your situation? God will make a way where there is no way. Keep moving forward. Remember, there is no armor on the back. And they start walking. And as they're walking, they come to the next part, the, the actual camp. When they arrive at the camp, they don't have a clue who's there. They don't know that everybody's left. They didn't hear the big noise, even though they weren't that far away because God orchestrated it for those army, that army so that they would leave. And for these four men, he orchestrated this incredible thing. When they arrived, you've got to think 250,000. That's probably how many people live in the, you know, the central Wellington area. Think about that. So they've got tents and horses and, and it's all just left there. So you'd be walking around for days checking the place out, not knowing that nobody's there. That's how big this thing was. For four outcast men. We need to remember that it's only faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Isn't the story of our life that we're actually trying to please God? So the only way you're actually going to please Him is not by doing what you've always done, not going back to what you once knew, what feels comfortable, but by taking a step of faith. Ah, happy, scared, getting into that place where you're actually in a space of faith and God will make a way. So it says in verse 8, the men had leprosy, reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drunk and carried away silver, gold and clothes. Hang on. They were just looking to have their lives spared. Now suddenly, silver, gold, Amani clothes, because they're in the captain's tent. And this is like the best of the best. And all they wanted was their life. Suddenly, the Bible says, I can't believe they're late. They ate and drank and carried away silver, golden clothes and went off and they hid them. Then they came back and they kept going back and hiding it because they're like, somebody's surely going to come back soon. But you see, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. But it's not seek first these material things and then God will come and help you. We need to make sure we get the order right in what we're doing. Oh, I'll just get ahead, then I'll commit to God's purpose. No, commit to God's purpose and he'll take you far further ahead than you can do on your own. 
And so it's important to understand here, but when they take a step of faith, it's always rewarded. You know, Mother Teresa died as, you know, the person who was the poverty, you know, the person who helped people in poverty in India. But do you know that she died with a net personal wealth of over 40 million US dollars? In her last 10 years of life, they believe she raised over $100 million after she won the Nobel Peace Prize, which, by the way, comes with a million-dollar price tag. So you get given a million dollars when you win the Nobel Peace Prize, and then she raised, by taking kids around the Western world, another $100 million. And as well as what she did for the orphanages, she actually personally gained $40 million US dollars. You see, whatever your purpose to do, and these things will be added to you. So many people are chasing wealth. You wouldn't think in the slums of India that anybody could have that sort of money. But you see, God will always bless and favour faith. People who step out in faith. People who actually position themselves by faith. God's going to go before you and he's going to bless you beyond what you need. Beyond what you need. Pressed down, shaking together, running over, the Bible says. But, you know, isn't it incredible when you take steps of faith? I remember when my wife and I, Leone, we pastored our first church. and We planted this church and, and six months out, we were, we were praying and I really felt God say to me, for the first 12 months, do not take any form of income from the church when you plant the church. Which sounded cool and I used to itinerate and speak around a bit before we started the church and my natural head was saying that'll be good, but of course... When you plan a church, you can't preach at somebody else's church on Sunday because you've got your church. So it's pretty hard to earn money that way because <laughs> it doesn't work. And if you haven't noticed, most church, apart from you guys on a Wednesday night, don't come out. And so uh, I suddenly realised, after about three months, I really could do with some money. Our church actually exploded in the first 12 months. So actually, within the first three months, we could afford to pay three salaries and all the stuff that we were doing. But I'd said publicly, I believe God has told me that I shouldn't draw a salary for the... What a stupid man I was. And, and so after three months, I've got other people I've employed, but we can't employ ourselves. And we're literally at about three-month mark down to $50. We don't have credit cards at that stage, not like New Zealand. It's like it, it wouldn't exist without credit cards. But, but back then, I, I literally had $50. And, and somebody in my church came to me, and they had a beautiful holiday house you know, it would be like, I don't know, the Capiti Coast or something, you know, about that distance away. And they had a beautiful holiday house on the beach. And they said, why don't you take our holiday house for a few days, no cost, and just go and have a bit of a break. And we were like, that would be awesome. Six months set up, three months at church, we, we were pretty tired. But all we had was $50, but we were content. We felt like God was with us. And so I sent my wife to the holiday house, and about halfway there, I had to stop and do speak at a youth camp. And I was the, the state director of this youth movement at the time. So I show up at the camp and, and they do praise and worship. Then they did an offering at camp. And I had the $50 in my pocket. And uh, I'm happy to be able to say that God didn't speak to me, or I probably wasn't listening, about putting that $50 in the offering. And uh, anyway, it comes to worship and the offering's gone by. I'm like, oh, yes, I feel free to worship now. And, uh, and, 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 and as I'm worshipping, I feel the Lord speak to me. I say, Neil, I want you to take the 50 and make it into two 20s and a 10, and teach the young people about giving. And I was in worship like, get behind me, Satan. They just had an offering. <laughs> but this voice keeps speaking to me, and I knew it was God. So I get the 50, 
I give the, to somebody who can get me two 20s and a 10, and they did. And so I taught the young people, and I simply taught it. There's three principles beyond tithing, giving. One is that you give because uh, you're sowing into good soil. You know, we don't just tithe in church. We actually give into this church because we believe this is good soil to reach the city. And so, you know, I, I go up to this young boy and I go, here, $20. You just sow into people's lives that are good people. I knew this boy. And, and so he takes it. He's got a big smile on his face. Why wouldn't he? He's getting the 20 bucks. And, uh, and I'm holding on probably a little bit too tight, but in the end, I, I let him have it. And I go, okay, yeah. God, you better come through. I don't know what you're doing here. And, uh, and anyway, so then I get another 20. And the second reason you give is because God tells you to. He gives you a specific. This is what you should do. And more often than not, when God speaks to you like that, it's way beyond what you're capable of doing. And I'm like, okay, God, well, this is going to take me down to 10 bucks left. And I'm thinking to myself, it's going to be a great holiday with 10 bucks. And uh, anyway, so I give the 20 and I give it to this girl. And as I give it to her, the Lord speaks to me and says, tell her that I love her and I, I, I've got her covered. I'm like, mm, that sounds weird. Oh, he loves you and he's got you covered. And she starts weeping. I'm thinking, you should not be weeping. I'm giving you the money. I should be weeping. But she tells me later that she'd come to camp and that morning she'd said, Lord, I brought these four girls to camp with me and I had enough petrol to get to camp, but I don't have enough money to put petrol in to get home. Would you come through for me? And in that moment, I became the miracle, which is great, but I still only got 10 bucks left, you know. <laughs> and so, so then I've got the 10 bucks and by that stage, it's like, oh, well, 10 bucks, who cares, you know. And uh, the third principle is that you actually are generous, just have a generous spirit. And so I go up to this boy and I give him and he's like, woohoo, then I'm preaching. And I've got a holy fear of God. But I've also got somebody who is what I call an earthly wife. And I've got to talk to her and tell her what I've just done. So I'm preaching, but really I'm thinking, I'm dead. What am I going to say? Uh, you can make it as spiritual as you like. But she's like, what? We got no money? You know, and uh, I'm thinking, I'm going up with excuses in my mind. Well, maybe... Honey, I feel the Lord saying we should have a fasting holiday. No, oh, uh, I don't know. I couldn't come up with much. Anyway, comes the altar call. I'm praying for this young man. And as I'm praying for him, there's all these young people forward. I feel this hand go in my pocket. It's not my hand. And uh, I'm like, I look down and there's a young boy standing there with his hand in my pocket. And he's like, Ugh. and I'm like, Ugh. He's like, oh, this thing's going on. And then, and then I'm like, just get your hand out of my pocket, buddy. But trying to keep, you know, the presence of God and the Holy Spirit come back. And, 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 and then he says to me, look in your pocket. Takes his hand out and I put my hand in and I pull out $50. He said, as you were giving away that money, God said to me, give you $50. And I was like, I'm a man of faith. I knew God was going to come through. I always knew it. You know. okay. My wife's a lucky person. She married a man of faith. And, and, and then, then I leave that meeting and I'm walking out to the car. And as I walk out to the car, one of the committee members of camp comes up and goes, Pastor Neil, we know you lead the movement, but this camp has been really financially done so well that we thought we should bless you and your wife. I didn't say anything, but I was like, I think you should as well. And, uh, and, and, and anyway, so they give me an envelope and they pass it to me and I've got this envelope and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And, and I don't want to look too enthusiastic, so I just take it and put it in my pocket. Thank you. Appreciate it. As soon as I get around the corner, woohoo, what's in here? <laughs> and there's $300 in the envelope. 
So my 50's gone to 350. But here's the principle. You don't get the story if you don't, ah, how are you going to come through? Ah, how am I going to eat? Ah, what am I going to tell my wife? If you don't take the step of faith, you go back and you die. If you stay here, you die. So the only option is to, ah, happy, scared, live in the place of faith. God always rewards people who take steps of faith. It's a season for you as a church to, ah, like you never have before, but watch what God is about to do. Watch what he's about to do in your lives. But look at this in the last passage of this scripture. Verse 9. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Here's four lepers that could have easily said, well, they kicked us out. Let's keep all this stuff to ourselves. Well, they don't deserve it. You know, we've been toiling hard all this time. You know, we made the decision to go out and step into the desert. We could have lost our lives. We're the guys full of faith. But, you know, the reason sometimes you go through hard times is because when God blesses you, you don't take it for granted. So often when you actually just get given something, you take it for granted. But when you've actually had to toil for it, when your opportunity comes, you don't want to keep it to yourself. It's an interesting two words that are used here. Good news. Do you know that there's only four occasions the word good news is used in the Old Testament and this is the only occasion where it's the literally the same meaning of the, uh, the, the, where it speaks of good news in the Gospels which is the good news, the message of Jesus Christ. So actually, they stepped out to save their lives but in the end, they saved the whole of Samaria. We're not just stepping out for what we can get. We're not just exercising faith so that we can get more. That's a byproduct. That just happens. We're doing it so that there's this sense in us, we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to tell the city about what God's doing in our lives. We've got to actually save the city. That's our primary mandate. And the way we attract the attention of heaven is, ah, I've got to take a step of faith. Then suddenly we come to church every week with a story. You don't get the story, remember. You don't get the blessing. You don't get the favour unless you take the step. So this becomes a house where we just celebrate all the steps that people have been taking. Not which roster am I on and am I allowed to be involved in that and I'd like to do this and if this church doesn't do it, I'm going to another church. But actually having the mentality that church is a place of celebration. All the good things that God has done and bringing a few others along for the ride and they get saved in that environment. Why? Because they've heard the good news. My son is now 15 years of age. When he was 12, he was at school and... Um, they were teaching at school about how the earth came into existence. And they were giving all the different theories of how that happened. And on the first occasion, they actually talked about the Big Bang Theory. I don't even really know what that is, but it sounds like a Big Bang. And anyway, and, uh, and so my son comes home and he's talking at the table. That night I came home from work and it was around about news time. And we usually turn the telly off. But, you know, I'm a man and you've got to watch the news. And uh, so as we're having dinner, I'm sort of looking at the news, listening to the conversation. And um, as I'm there, my, my son's talking. He said, oh, yeah, we're in class today. And my friend Jared turns to me, 
quite loud in front of the church, in front of the school mum, in front of the class. And he says, Riot, I don't believe in your God. I've never experienced him, so he can't be true. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. And Leone says, well, what did you say to him? And he said, well, mum, I didn't know what to say. He said, the truth is that I haven't really experienced God. And, uh, and anyway, I feel at that moment a kick under the table. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was my wife. And she kicked me right in the shin. And I was about to turn like, whoa! And as I'd look at her, like a wife can only do, it's like, and she's looking at me like, you need to be in this conversation. You're somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, I heard everything that was happening because men can do two things at once. And, uh, and, uh, and so I turned to my son and I said, you, you've experienced God. And he goes, yeah, Dad, but not, not Reese. I don't know. I just, I didn't know what to say when Jared said that. I said, why don't we talk about it when you go to bed tonight? So when the kids go to bed, I still lie next to them at night and I, I pray with them and we just talk about the day. I said to him, buddy, why don't you and I believe together that in the next seven days, you're going to experience God like you never have before. He goes, oh, that'd be awesome, Dad. Yeah, let's do it. I walk out of the room and I suddenly think, he's not going to be believing God. This is all on me. I've got to believe God. Happy, scared. Ah! But you see, I can preach to all of you. But if my kids don't experience what I'm talking about, who am I really reaching? So I'm in this place of great faith. I'm praying every day. God, you've got to touch his life. Anyway, funnily enough, that weekend I actually got on a plane. I came to Wellington of all places. And uh, while I was here, um, I didn't know what had happened, but I went home that on the Monday. And when I got home, I'm sitting eating dinner. And Leone, she's a week later, says to me, Hey, Brian, did you tell your dad what happened yesterday? He goes, Oh, no, Dad. Yesterday I went to children's church. It was incredible, Dad. Because I went in the first service and at the end they said, if you want prayer, maybe you need God to freshly touch you. So I went forward. Somebody prayed for me. I don't know what happened. But I actually woke up at the end of the second service. And for two hours I'd been lying on the ground and God had been showing me what I'm going to do with my life. And he showed me how I'm going to write songs, which Ryan's already done now. And, and I'm going to make music and I'm going to, you know, he does all these different things. And he said, and I'm going to preach like you. I saw myself in front of these crowds. And dad, by the way, I'm going to see a lot more people get saved than you have. You know, that, that's what he said. <laughs> Takes after his mum. And anyway, so, so I said, and I said, that's awesome, buddy. I said, but you know what? You didn't have that encounter just for yourself. Remember Jared? And he goes, yeah, you're right, you're right. So he goes to school the next day. They get on the bus and they go to the Science Discovery Centre. Science Discovery Centre is like they, they do all the universe and stuff and you lie on your back on the floor and in this one room they show you all the different, you know, uh, universes and all the different stars and formations. And they talk, t teach you, talk to you about it all. And anyway, so he's in this room and at the end of the thing he said to me, Dad, today when we went to get on the bus after we'd been in there, Jared's sitting up the back of the bus and it's about a 60-seater bus and I'm getting on, I get on last. And as I get on, I yell out from the front of the bus, Jared, in the next seven days, you're going to experience God. And I said, oh, that's great. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, that's, I'm this bunny. And he goes, Dad, it's going to be awesome. You, you're praying, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, you say that. He goes, yeah, yeah. 
in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So everybody knows. It's going to be awesome. And uh, anyway, so I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. And uh, so anyway, we, 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 we keep praying. Well, on the Monday of the next week, the teacher, whatever reason, shows the Christian worldview. She shows a video that I've never seen. It's a Louis Giglio movie about the universe. Anyway, she shows this video. Ryan's sitting at the back of the class, his friend at the front. And halfway through the video, Jared turns around in front of the whole class and goes, Ryan, I think I just experienced God. Ryan comes home and tells me that night. I said, what did you say? He goes, I didn't say anything. I said, I don't know what to say. I said, this is the whole point, buddy. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, why don't you tomorrow go and ask him if he wants to know Jesus? He goes, yeah, that's great. How do you do that? I'm like, mate, you've responded to hundreds of old, yeah, but I don't know what to say. So we've got a, a book in our children's church called The Red Book, and it's like a comic book that's been written. And in the middle, there's a part where a kid can lead their friend to the Lord. And so we get it out, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to take you to school. And so he tells me the next night, oh, Dad, it was awesome today. He said, at the start of school, I arrive, I see Jared. I said, Jared, do you want to know Jesus? And Jared said, yeah, yeah. He goes, great, meet me at the back of the sheds during recess time. What? I was like, this is starting a bit weird. And anyway, he, I said, why did you do that? He goes, oh, we needed privacy, Dad. You know, so we went up to that. Oh, okay. So he said, we went up there and, and, uh, and I led him through the book and he prayed the prayer. And then I went and played football and I left him there. I said, why? He said, well, Dad, I said to Jared, you've got a lot of sin. You need to talk to God about it. So I left him to deal with his sin while I... Uh, didn't you just pray that that was gone? But anyway, it was, it was all good. Next day, Ryan comes home with a letter from Jared's mum. Hasn't been opened and I'm thinking, oh no, this is not the good part of the story. So I open the letter and it starts out by saying, hi Ryan, I'm Jared's mum. You see me in the playground sometimes. Jared came home last night and he read the book and he told me what he did with you. And I wanted to thank you. Because what you don't know is Jared's grandfather used to be a pastor of a church. And I got hurt in the church when I was very young. And I haven't been to church my whole life. But at the end of reading the book to me, Jared said, Mom, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And then he went through the book with me. Last night, both me and Jared made a decision to be followers of Jesus. And I just wanted to thank you. But you see, the truth is, in seven days, you're going to have an encounter with God. <laughs> what am I saying? Be scared. Ryan on the bus, in seven days, Jared, you're going to have an encounter with God. <laughs> what did you say that for in front of the whole school? Happy scared. But now, I tell you that story and you're like, that's awesome. But it didn't start with the end. It started at the start. Well, Ryan, you can just put up with it, mate. You know, this is what life does to you sometimes. Sometimes you don't feel God. Other times you do. That's going back. Death is there. Drawing the line in the sand. Well, what can we do at this stage of his life? He's just young. He'll experience God in other times. Stay where we are. Oh. Ah. Got to take up an offering with $50. Ah. 
Going to step out into the desert. It looks like we're going to die. Ah! Going to tell my friend about Jesus. Ah! But you don't get the story unless you take the step. The step attracts the attention of heaven and then God makes a way where there is no way. We need to recognize for us as a church, equip us here in Wellington. This is our season to take extra strains of faith. It's time for us to say, come on, it's time to step out. It's not time to go back, we die. It's not time to stay here, we die. It's happy, scared, God use me. And watch what he does as we take steps of faith.